This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, Cirrus expands on its world dominance. And NBAA adds some coronavirus restrictions and additional programming. FlightAware has a new owner. The Gamma report for the second quarter is looking pretty good. Finally, we look back on 9-11 20 years later. Ian, let's do some Hangar Talk. Let's do it, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, the 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, guys. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. David, we don't have a guest this week per se. We wanted to do something special. You had talked to a bunch of recipients of the Homer Foundation Scholarship uh, in reporting for the work AOPA was doing, uh, looking back on 9-11 20 years later. And so we, we wanted to put that into a package. And I'm, I'm, I think this is one, something different for us, but I, I think people are really going to enjoy it. Yeah, Ian, I want to thank you for helping out on the editing side of that. And just to let our Hangar Talk podcast listeners know the Leroy Homer Jr. Foundation is named after Leroy Homer Jr., who was the first officer on United Flight 93. Now, you'll remember, this was the, the flight that is known as the flight that fought back, and it crashed in a, a hillside in Pennsylvania. So we talked to several of the scholarship recipients, and Melody Homer, Leroy Homer's wife, she started this foundation and is presenting these scholarships to folks who want to pursue aviation careers, Ian. And they have launched more than 25 aviators since the program began. So it's a, it's a real go-getter deal, and they act as mentors for each other. And they're coming up on the 20th anniversary of the Homer Foundation, but they did look back at 20 years since 911. It's a, a good look at 911 from a personal perspective, and really it's, it's turning a tragedy into a triumph. That's the one thing that I would, would say is a key takeaway. Yeah, it's a great point. Okay, but first we're going to get going with the news. Cirrus Aircraft, now we're going to talk about them with a the Gamma report a little bit later, but first, they also recently came out with an announcement that they have expanded. Of course, they were already in Duluth, right? That's where their main headquarters is, but they have facilities in Knoxville, in Grand Forks, and now three more. 
That is right. So they are, and they're doing well. You know, Sears has been the market leader for a number of years, mm-hmm. uh, and they are opening a, or basically are opening or have opened a training facility in Scottsdale, Arizona, an engineering center in Chandler, Arizona, and an engineering center in Texas at McKinney Airport, which is a suburb of Dallas, and it's a happening airport. I've actually been there before. We had a high school symposium near there, and the McKinney folks are steeped in aviation. The high school kids there are building, they're not building a Cirrus, they're building a, an RV-12, but maybe Cirrus will employ some of the high school STEM kids at some point. So, yeah, Cirrus is out the door and expanding. Yeah, and I think this obviously speaks to how busy they are. I mean, the Knoxville facility in particular, I know, is just slammed with customers. That's where they do the the jet sim training. So they're going to expand to Scottsdale for that. So that's going to be the new training center, I think, both with both the SR and the jet. And then the Chandler one, like you mentioned, is engineering. I think they have some maybe subcomponents, and they're calling them innovation centers. So who knows? Obviously, they're looking to the future, product improvement and, and expansion maybe. So it just goes to show, really, I think, how healthy the company is right now. Absolutely. And just to add to that, the Arizona aviation environment, which is already a hotbed of activity, We'll, we'll see even more activity. And, you know, our, our good friends at California Aeronautical University just opened a helicopter program over in, in that, that neck of the woods in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So you can, fly, you can fly pretty much year-round. That's a great place for some training yeah. and also engineering as well. And it also does expand the footprint for Cirrus out west. And there are a lot of those vision jets out in that area doing you know, not just personal flights, but a little bit of uh, a little bit of commercial activity too. Yeah, yeah, good point. So, hey, speaking of the jet world, NBAA, they came out with an announcement. I thought this was a little surprising, actually, that they, for the convention in in Las Vegas, they're going to require COVID vaccinations. Yeah, well, the other thing about that, Ian, is that the fact that they're still having an in person convention. Yeah, and that's a key thing. You know, a lot of their a lot of their displays, if not all of them, are inside the Las Vegas Convention Center. Of course, the headquarters airport is Henderson Executive. And, you know, when you're getting close together like that, you're going to have to do things like show your vaccination card, wear masks on, you know, during public transportation events and things like that. There will be hand sanitizer stations throughout the area. But I, I'm surprised that it's still an in-person event, but I do think that pilots will appreciate the fact that it's going to be a safe event with these plans in place. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, obviously, I, I don't envy people who are doing event planning right now or heads of organizations who have to make these calls because it, it's tough. But, you know, when you look back at what's been going on the past couple of months, I mean, you've got Oshkosh, which is mostly outside, obviously. They do have the hangars and a couple of in, inside events, but mostly outside. You know, as you mentioned, NBAA, I mean, there's the static display at the airport, but but the core of the event is inside. And so I think, you know, they, of course, they have to worry about the safety of the guests. And then, but they're also, of course, you know, they're working with state and local officials for these approvals. And so, you know, I think people forget sometimes that it's, these things don't happen in a vacuum. I mean, they, to be able to put this event off, you know, and to get approvals to do these sorts of things, they have to put safety measures in place. Agreed. And also thinking about uh, an event that's so large, the NBAA base event is huge. You know, there are manufacturers and businesses coming from all over the world. So, you know, thinking about that, 
you do have to present a safe environment so that folks can go back home where they came from. Yeah, go back to work. Yeah, yeah. without being quarantined indefinitely or, or having to jump through additional hoops. You know, the vaccination requirement is, is also uh, in effect at some of the other shows that they have at that Las Vegas Convention Center. The uh, CES, that's the Consumer Electronics Show, and the National Association of Broadcasters annual show, they're going to have similar requirements as well. Now, Ian, you're on the NBAA mailing list. What what do you make of all this? Yeah, I'm on the listserv. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's a vocal minority or a vocal majority, but let's just say they were vocal on the listserv, some people, about their displeasure for this. Some pilots, I guess, feel that, and some of these guys are obviously, you know, flight department managers and things like that. They obviously feel that, you know, NBAA is sort of forcing their hand here and maybe they're not going to attend the show or something like that. Others seem to be a little more open to it. You know, I, I think it is interesting, you know, especially, you know, and we've talked about this with the, with the FAA medical standards. I mean, if you get COVID, it, it has serious implications potentially for your medical. So yeah, and long term as well. We don't yeah. still know what, what the term long COVID, we are hearing a little bit more about that now. And as a pilot, we don't know how it could affect our heart or our breathing. And at, like you said, Ian, when we're going to medical examiners. Long term, yeah. Yeah, or even for basic med, we want to make sure that, that we're in the clear. And and that's a, a good reminder, when you get your COVID vaccine, you still have to wait 48 hours before you fly. So folks yeah, who are trying point. to, at the last minute, get a vaccine, keep that in mind as well. Yeah. Now, one thing I think that you brought up that's important is, you know, you mentioned the companies that are exhibiting. Of course, a lot of companies have put in restrictions, travel restrictions or vaccine restrictions, that sort of thing. This has impacted AOPA because the high school symposium, actually, that you mentioned earlier that was in Texas, that was planned to be an in-person event this year. But the teachers who come to this, so these are, you know, we put this on for teachers around the country to come in and network and learn, you know, STEM strategies for the classroom, that sort of thing. A lot of them had been, well, they were just concerned because they didn't know, for example, if they come to the event, are they going to be able to go back to a classroom? Are they going to be allowed in the classroom again? Are they going to have to quarantine? So AOPA did decide to make that a virtual event, which in a way is a good thing because it opens up a lot more access to people who maybe couldn't go to the in-person show. So that has been changed. And, and, and that is primarily because the attendees, like we said, were, were concerned about the implications of traveling. Yeah. I mean, how would you get back home to your home school district? Would you have to quarantine for two weeks? If you quarantine for two weeks, who is the substitute teacher? and on and on. Now, it was going to be in Orlando, but since it's virtual now, of course, you can get, you can, you can log in from anywhere, uh, and it's November 16th, and I will tell you that registration is open. I have already registered myself, and there will be, there'll be excellent programming, and it will also be engaging, and there will be some interactivity components as well. So, folks could still chat. They could still break out in different small sessions. You know, we're hoping then the technology will actually present some good conversation. So all is not lost. But yes, for the students and for the teachers involved, we had to make that decision and we wanted to let people know. Yeah. Hey, moving on. So FlightAware, you use it. I use it. Everybody uses FlightAware, our friends, our family, you know, to track us. They have a new owner. They do. Collins Aerospace, which is a unit of Raytheon Technologies, basically has folded FlightAware into their business plan. So I don't think that we're going to see any changes per se. Yeah, not immediately, I wouldn't think, yeah. 
I wouldn't think so. But you know, when when uh, a segue real quick to Four Flight, you know, mm-hmm. when Boeing uh, got involved with Four Flight, we actually started to see uh, even more improvements, and that yeah. those guys didn't forget their GA roots either. But yeah, so uh, I've used Flight Aware for a while. It was uh, formed in 2005 to track GA and commercial flights, and I'm actually tracking a flight today. We have two pilots that are in a, a Commander 114, and they're trying to do 48 states in 48 hours. Wow. So I'm using FlightAware even today. And, you know, the other thing, Ian, FlightAware does track, you know, business travel. I'm sorry, commercial travel mm-hmm. and has some pretty hard numbers. And you and I rely on those numbers sometimes when we talk about the aviation industry and hiring and, and traffic, you know, and commercial operations. Yeah. And of course, that's what this is all about is data. You know, it's access to data. It's not about, you know, Collins owning the rights for you and I to go to their website to, you know, track our friends and, you know, people who are flying our airplanes and things like that. It's it's about data and being able to access, you know, package that and, and resell it. So it is a little surprising that it went to Collins. But I think, you know, like you said, we won't see any sort of big changes anytime soon. I don't think so. I don't think so. But but speaking of changes, are there some changes in the Gamma report this year? Yeah, the gamma numbers are out. We're, we we now know halfway through the year how the industry is looking, and it's looking pretty good. Yeah, helicopters and turboprops are leading the way this time, Ian, and it's actually a pretty good scenario for the training market as well. But now when you look at 2021 second quarter gamma numbers, you really need to look back, I think, at 2019 versus 2020. When everything was shut down. Yeah. But overall, yeah, overall, when when compared to, to 2020, before we go back further, you know, uh, piston airplane deliveries increased 12% and turboprop deliveries increased 45%, which is pretty good. But don't forget, 2020 was a down year. Yeah. So... You and I like to do a little deep dive sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So compared to the 2019, so let's just give top line, total pistons through the first half of 2021, there have been 565 that have gone out the door compared to 573 for 2019. So a slight decrease there, not not too big. Turboprops, which had been in the tank, have recovered a little bit, 221 through the first half of the year versus 2019, 233. Jets are not doing as well. You know, some of this, I got to say, before we go on, when you talk to manufacturers, the orders are not the problem. Recently, it seems like there's some supply chain issues, some labor issues. Yes. And that if those things could be rectified, they'd actually be able to put out more airplanes. Yeah, I want to just jump on the supply chain issues. It goes across the board, Ian, from restaurants to apparel manufacturers. I was talking to my brother Martin in Atlanta. He does apparel manufacturing mm-hmm. and he can't get blue or gray shirts. Wow. So, you know, go figure. But we do see the same situation with aircraft manufacturers. There's uh, aluminum issues on getting some of the aluminum now these days. And we've all heard about the the chips in uh, rental cars and yep. and new new cars. So that affects aviation and avionics as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. So a couple of manufacturers, what'd you see that you liked? Well, I was looking back at some of the ones that we like to talk about. And, you know, Cirrus which we just talked about just a moment ago, Ian, they're kind of on par now with what they did in 2019. So far, total units are out the door, 118. Yeah, for the second quarter, yep. 
they're neck and neck at 123. So that's really close. It's pretty darn close for that. Yeah. Just a couple of units off, like five. That's not much. Now, you like to talk a little bit about Diamond sometimes. Have you looked at Diamond? Yeah, Diamond, which, you know, I think when the last report we talked about, because they were doing so well, of course, they had been down a bit the past couple of years, but clearly reinvestment in products and, and sales staff and things like that, they're up. So if you look through, I like to take the both, you know, both quarters through the first half of the year. In 2019, they delivered 98 in the first two quarters. This year, 103. So they're up a little bit. That's good. I do like the way you like to add both of those together. I didn't do that, so <laughs> you would have to you would have had to correct me if I was looking at that. So, but you know, another one that you and I like to talk about because it is such a cool aircraft is Icon aircraft. Mm-hmm. You know, they they actually were producing more Icon aircraft in 2019 than they are now, and that might have to do with what you just said, Ian, looking at 14 in that second quarter of 2019 versus three in the second quarter now. Now, don't forget, at AirVenture this year, Icon introduced a a couple of new models. They do hope to, at the end of this year, have an FAA-certified version of that amphibious aircraft. So, interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. You know, Piper, we love to talk about Piper. They were down pretty considerably, so that would be interesting to dig into that more to know if uh, they're facing supply chain issues or what's going on there. But 2019, they first two quarters of the year, so first half of the year, they put out 120 total. This year, it's only 68, so down quite a bit. That is interesting. Well, I'm, I'm curious about one thing, though. When you look at Piper... And, and when you look at this, actually, you can see that their, their training market in 2019 was, was ramped up big time. If you add the first and second quarter together, you, they did more. They did, like, uh, it looks like 77 back then versus uh, 33 now of the archers. So, But now we got to add the six Piper Pilot 100s in there. So let's say about, yeah, about 40 versus over 70. Yeah, but, but here's something that I was interested in. Check out the top-of-the-line flagship, the M600, in 2021. This quarter, eight units, and last quarter, six units. When you look back to 2019, it was just one aircraft. I wonder if that has to do with Autoland and how that's come on board since then. Interesting, yeah. To have 14 so far, that is, you're right. That's, uh, that is a big deal, and it's it does actually, it's interesting, speaks to the billings. We've talked about this before, you know. More, it's better for the uh, for the company to sell the high ticket items. So they've billed what almost eighty million so far this year versus uh, ninety four. So per unit, much higher rate. So that that is interesting. One thing that just actually caught my eye this year is Pipistrel. Now we don't talk about them very often, but they did report how many electric aircraft they've built so far. The Velis Electro. Now, as we know, it's like in the States, you, okay, you can get it. It's experimental exhibition. It's not really practical. They've built 22 of those guys so far this year. Well, I think that's going to be the harbinger of things to come. I think I just saw a news release come across today that over in Europe, IASA has certified a charging device for the, I will not pronounce the name right, <laughs> the Villas Virus. <laughs> you know, it's not virus. We came across that earlier on, but. Yeah, that's right. But the 
charging mechanism. The technology has just come on board for that. And I thought that was interesting. You know, airports themselves, Ian, when you think about the space around an airport, is, is pretty conducive to have some solar energy. Although there are the flip side of that solar energy is the reflections from the panels that could, you know, really blind pilots or confuse pilots. But if you're thinking about a self-contained situation, that could be interesting. You have an electric airplane with some solar panels on the ground at the airport, and they are cranking them out. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. So we talked about Piper, talked about Pipistro. What about Technum? We sometimes talk about Technum. Yeah, they seem to be right on track. In 2019, they were at 106 units. Now they're 104. So there you go. That's pretty close. I'd say neck and neck. Not not much change. Now the the big daddy is going to be Textron. Yeah. And so looking at Textron from 2019 and Textron now, I noted a very large number of 172 Skyhawk SPs coming out the door just in this quarter alone. 40, 47. And you add that to the 27 in the uh, previous quarter, that's a significant number, 74 altogether. And then we basically back in 2019, you were looking at 24 on the second quarter, 28 in the first. That's like just uh, like 50 something. So uh, 52. Yeah, a third more. Yeah, that's pretty significant. That is significant. And then overall, Textron has got 148 aircraft that they've delivered versus 117 in 2019 so that's interesting they've cranked it up a yeah, notch that is interesting yeah yeah that's good that's very good so i mean overall you know not too bad not fully recovered to 2019 levels but i think like we talked about a lot of that is supply chain stuff labor issues because you talk to the manufacturers and it's like they're sold out a lot of them are sold out for a couple of years actually in advance so i i think you know they're, they're cranking as fast as they can a lot of times. So it'll be actually interesting to see through the end of the year. But also, you know, I was going to mention before we sign off, the helicopter market seems to be coming back as well. That's interesting. I was surprised that there weren't as many trainers, uh, you know, the R-22 trainers uh, that are, have been sold than I, than I would have thought. But nonetheless, you know, helicopters were down. Last year we were talking about a, a lot of the gamma numbers in 2020, and even the uh, first quarter. Oh, yeah, they were hurting. They were. And I think they're coming back now. So that's interesting as well. Yeah, it's good. Very good. All right, David. So just, you know, to, to close this out today, want to reflect a little bit on the on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Of course, obviously, everybody is seeing this every day and in, in sort of the mainstream publications and that they're reading or, or shows they're watching. But obviously, a major aviation component to that day. And if you look at the at the recent AOPA pilot, we we had a pretty deep dive into it, talked about what it was like 20 years ago for some of the people who were flying that day and some sub-stories, but just kind of want to remember it and point people to that story and I guess just reflect on, on what was a really sort of seminal event for aviation, I think. All of us who were alive 20 years ago will not forget that and the sacrifices that so many people made, including first responders, as well as the aviators that were involved in this. But we're, we're just glad that there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. It will shine a little bit of light on Melody Homer and uh, the Leroy Homer Jr. Foundation on how to really get some other aviators going and perhaps make a difference in the world today.
Tuesday morning, September 11th, 2001, defined a generation. After terrorists hijacked four commercial airliners and used them as weapons of war. Three crashed into symbols of America, the Twin Towers in New York City and the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and passengers on United Airlines Flight 93 saved countless others when they battled to veer the flight from the target of the hijackers who had seized control from Captain Jason Dahl and First Officer Leroy Homer, Jr. The Leroy Homer, Jr. Scholarship Foundation has turned tragedy into promise. The First Officer's widow, Melody, pledged to keep her husband's memory alive by fully funding primary flight training scholarships for those demonstrating a strong desire to pursue aviation, a balanced background, and a financial need. We had decided pretty early on after September 11th that we wanted to do something to memorialize my husband. And we thought back to his start in aviation and his start in aviation began with him going to flight lessons and being able to obtain a private pilot certification. And he did that prior to being accepted and then attending the United States Air Force Academy. So we thought that we really wanted to look at this young adult population and wanted to sort of replicate what Leroy did by having them follow in his footsteps. Spirit Airlines First Officer Sarah Cook was one of the first recipients in 2003. Only 18 and fresh out of high school at the time, her life changed forever when she started flying. So I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Idaho, and I didn't have any financial resources to achieve any dreams of flight. And um, I was one of the first three recipients of the Leroy Homer Jr. Scholarship, and that fully funded a private pilot's license. So when I was 18, I graduated high school. I started flying when I was 18, got my private pilot's license that summer, and really that has been the single greatest gift I've ever been given. That scholarship, I think, really just opened so many doors for me. And it truly did change the direction in the course of my life. Cook grew up in the middle of nowhere Idaho and didn't have the financial resources to pursue an aviation career before she was awarded one of the first three Leroy Homer Jr. Scholarship Flight Training Scholarships. Need isn't a primary determining factor in the selection process, but passion for aviation is. Since Melody created the scholarship to mirror Leroy's life, the winner is entitled to the full cost of a private pilot certificate, including the books and other fees. She explained that flight training can vary widely, depending on location, so the scholarships fund the entire expense, from the first day of ground school to the private pilot checkride, and no matter the cost. The support helps keep applicants focused on flying, according to Vishra Patel, the 2001 winner and a cybersecurity expert for United Airlines. They never asked me, like, oh, why do you need a flight bag? 
don't you just have a little bag that you can just throw things in? Never once was there a complaint about that. They literally made sure that financial area was not a burden or wasn't a lack there of training, you know, that didn't stop us. They took care of every means possible and they continue to do so. The foundation has enjoyed massive success. Recipients have a 100% completion rate and span military, commercial, and general aviation pilots. There are four military pilots and two recipients who are currently at the Air Force Academy where Leroy attended. There are people in the cockpit working in the airlines, cybersecurity, and at Boeing. Pilots like Richard Valenta, a test pilot in the Navy. My mom took me to a garage sale and, and bought me one of those like glossy Jane's military aviation books. And, uh, you know, I opened the first page to an F-15, you know, going vertical, full afterburners. I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. And after that, I kind of just read every book I could about it and watched every movie I could. And that's what started my uh, love affair and interest, if you will. Or like Brody Wilson, a recent graduate of Southern Illinois University who is now flying for an aerial survey company. Scholarships are huge, especially as a young up-and-coming pilot, this scholarship in particular, it just allowed me just to focus on flying and studying. I didn't have to worry about, oh, I need to get this done in a short amount of time as possible. I don't, you know, I have to do all this on my own. It just took away a huge headache, which is cost. Aviation is just an inherently expensive thing to get into, whether that's a hobby or professionally. And just having the financial help of an organization such as the Leroy Homer Foundation was instrumental in me starting my career. The applicants range from prospective pilots who've barely touched an airplane to those who grew up around aviation, like Courtney Voodoo Vitt, a C-17 pilot in the U.S. Air Force. I had a small little flight suit when I was a small child, so I have pictures of when I was two years old running around the squadron in a flight suit. My mom likes to joke with me, but ever... When I was a small child, I believed that Santa actually delivered presents in an F-16 instead of with a sleigh and reindeer because the squadron Christmas parties, he would taxi up in an F-16. And it made perfect sense to me that that is how he got around the world so quickly. So it has been one of those things I've been fascinated with aviation my entire life. All the winners credit the scholarship with jumpstarting their careers and making them what they are today. It really just set my life on a trajectory that I wanted to, and I'm very thankful for that. And, and hopefully as life, you know, as my kids get a little older and the military gets a little less busy, like hopefully I can, you know, start to pay it back and give someone else or help them give someone else the opportunity that they gave me. Because it certainly was, a, you know, one of, one of the most defining moments in my life getting to get my pilot's license when I was, you know, 16, 17. Melody continues to run the foundation and serves as its driving force. Through her coordination... The past winners mentor the younger winners on career and flight training advice. Patel says she's like a fairy godmother. Well, I think he would be amazed at the foundation. I'm amazed at what we've been able to do. So I think he would just be incredibly amazed at that, that aspect and that truly all of these people who work really hard, we work all volunteer and they real, you know, they work really hard to protect his legacy, and to allow his legacy to continue. Melody believes her husband's big plan was exactly what he did. I often wonder if Leroy was not on that flight, would it have made it to the Capitol that day, the U.S. Capitol, which was its target? 
So for me, that is something that I think was Leroy's purpose in life. And I don't like it. I don't have to like it. But I, I understand that in his life, he had already taken an oath to protect and serve his country. And that day was just an extension of that. So we still miss him a lot. Little did he know that one of his legacies would be giving back in such a big way. We have made something awesome out of what the, you know, the circumstances we were dealt with. I don't know the exact number of recipients off the top of my head, but it's over 20 people have gained their private pilot certificate. And many of these people have gone on to achieve professional flying, whether that was civilian or military. So we have a lot of people who have gone on to service academies and have achieved awesome things. So I think it's really great that we're able to keep the legacy of Leroy Homer alive through all of our recipients and alumni. I would tell him thank you for his legacy and his contribution to my life. The best thing I can tell him is thank you for, you know, giving me an opportunity of flight and giving me a taste of flight. Without him, I don't think my passion would have ever met where it's at. I mean, I guess at first I would I would thank him and say it's definitely been an inspiration to me to continue and and you know, quite a bit and I think about as I've reached different aviation milestones in my life, I've been very thankful for the Homer Foundation and, and Melody. And I guess I, I, I just hard for me to communicate how special that opportunity was and, and, you know, what I would say to him and to say to Melody is like, I've thought about it a lot of times and, you know, you guys have really inspired me not to let you down. And, uh, and I think the second step of that would be to, I'm going to continue, you know, your legacy for what you've done for me. It's some comfort to a loss. Melody says she will never get over. My loss is, it's a loss that I'm never going to really fully recover from. But how I've reconciled that is the United 93 was the flight that fought back. All right, David. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, the strength that she had to take that tragedy and, and turn around and work to make something of it. I mean, that it's quite incredible. Indeed. And I would like to add one more thing. You know, you never know how things will be affected by your actions. One of the pilots that we talked to for this series was Courtney Voodoo Vitt. As a result of the scholarship, she got into aviation and she's done a lot of military service. I heard, Ian, that a Voodoo Vit was flying one of the evacuation aircraft out of Afghanistan recently. Oh, wow. Helping people get to safety. Wow. So just think what your actions could do when you get someone involved in aviation. She saved hundreds of lives. Yeah, amazing. Amazing stuff. All right, that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangartalk or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. We'll see you next time, David. See you next time, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.